You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK analyst and Renew Economy contributor David Leach. David, I trust you have are well and I hope you've got the power back on. I have got the power back on, Giles. I trust all our listeners or most of them are connected as well. I must say a few days without electricity and without any internet uh, um, is... uh, something not to be experienced too often, 90 days without uh, here, uh, was sorely taxing, uh, I must say, although I have heard some locals say it's good for the population in the area longer term, but uh, I think that's taking things a bit far. (laughs) Well, it's probably also good for office rentals too, because I understand that um, you had to um, rent an office to go and conduct the interview with our special guest this week. Uh, Indeed, and our special guest uh, uh, is one of the industry leaders, uh, some of those from um, uh, uh, Hydropower Tasmania, and uh, it was a good chat with him, and as he points out, he's got a lot to do with the um, on the organisation, no doubt, that's looking at the policy review post-2025 uh, being conducted by the Energy Security Board. Um, and so it's great to have those views. And it's uh, such a, it's interesting too, I think, uh, although we could talk about afterwards, to see the competition in some ways uh, between Snowy and, and Hydro Tasmania to, to, uh, to be the, um, um, how, shall, how shall I put it, the pumped hydro or firming supplier of choice. Or, as the Tasmanian um, company would say, the battery of the nation. But look, let's have a listen to what he's got to say. This is Stephen Davey, the CEO of Hydro Tasmania, talking to David Leach just recently. Hi, it's my uh, pleasure to have uh, Steve Davey, Chief Executive Officer of Hydro Tasmania, uh, joining us today. And uh, I guess it's an interesting time for Hydro Tasmania. You guys have been, uh, you just had a pretty reasonable result in fiscal 19. The balance sheet looks pretty strong. Um, and um, you've been developing the Battery of the Nation concept, which has come up with about three projects, of which two of them, uh, the top two on your list, would be about 1,200 megawatts between them. Can you tell me uh, what the plans are for Battery of the Nation now from your perspective and kind of the timeline and key events that you expect to happen over the next uh, year or two? Sure. Thanks, David. Look, and... um I was with the board of Hydro Tasmania over on the on the west coast the last few days, uh, and the west. And while we were there, we visited Tribute Power Station, and Tribute Power Station was finished in the in the late nineties. Sorry, in the early nineties, and it was called Tribute to to mark all the people that had worked in Tasmania on the on building the hydro assets. So we're very um, you know pleased to be engaging our people back in the idea of 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 going back to building hydro in Tasmania. The the three projects that we are currently focused on for what we're, that we're calling Battery of the Nation and, uh, and and they are three different pumped hydro projects. The three projects are at um, at Sathana, uh, at at uh, Rowallan, and at Tribute Power Station as well. And uh, about two and a half years ago, we started on these projects uh, with Arena sponsorship. Uh, we found fourteen sites across. Tasmania, and then we've narrowed that down to half a dozen, and we're pursuing these these th- three priority projects projects now. The 
two of them, the Rowellan Project and the Sathana Project, are um, uh, consist of turkeys' nest dams above the existing Rowellan and Sathana reservoirs, uh, with a um, with a, with a pumped hydro power station uh, and tunnel between the the new reservoir uh, up up the top of the hill and uh, the existing reservoir down down at the bottom of the hill. Uh, the project we're looking at at uh, Tribute is uh, alongside the current Tribute power station, which connects Lake Plimsoll with with Lake Murchison. And again, those are those are two hydro lakes in our in our system. And and Tribute was, as I said, the last the last of the major power stations that we built. Now, the great advantage of these Tasmanian options is that is that the um, they're very scalable and and quite low cost compared to other potential pumped hydro projects around Australia. The so reasons think, for them uh, being sorry, I think Steve that Sethana was about one and a half million dollars a megawatt more or less. I mean, you can always measure these things in terms of energy or power, but I like to think in terms of power to start with. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. Rowellan's Ro about one point seven million dollars a megawatt. So that's obviously uh, uh, and um, yeah. So that would give you twelve hundred yeah. megawatts just those those first two. Yeah, and what and what we think we need to be ready for these projects, the Battery in the Nation pumped hydro projects, are very linked to the Marinus project. So uh, Marinus is a uh, interconnection project that TAS Networks are working on. Again, they've uh, been supported by by Arena initially, and then more recently directly by the by the federal government for their investigations. And uh, what uh, TAS Networks are saying now is that um, we can have 1,500 megawatts of interconnection between Tasmania and Victoria in addition to the 500 or so that Basslink has, so 2,000 megawatts in total. Somewhere in the in the late 20s or, or, or 2030, uh, and our job is to make sure that we've got uh, a substantial pumped hydro project uh, up and running to, to be generating at about the same time as the 1,500 megawatts of, of Marinus. We don't think just we to need give to our, have... just, just, Sorry, just to give our listeners a, a bit of a, a, a heads up there, uh, um, Project Marinus for 1,200 megawatts has a midpoint estimated cost today uh, of about $2.5 uh, billion, I think. And I think your two, um, the Sithana and Rowallan, would have a cost of about $1.8 billion. So... I guess that's a bit over four billion uh, in the spreadsheet, which is probably the lowest cost it'll be the whole time. And uh, also, Steve, the the, the timeline. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so if I could just so so Marinus has, has Tas Networks have, have recently stated that Marinus would now be a fifteen hundred megawatt project. So uh, oh, sorry, I'm uh, up, uh, no, no, no. It's, 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 so it's just become a better project at fifteen hundred at fifteen hundred megawatts. Uh, but we we think that with fifteen hundred megawatts of interconnection, we would only need a single pumped hydro project on the back of that. And the reason that we're saying only one pumped hydro project is that there's there's so much unused hydro capacity in Tasmania at the moment. When um, when Melbourne went through its uh, uh, rotational load shedding of, uh, in in January of this year, uh, we still had about five hundred megawatts of available. Uh, hydro that wasn't being dispatched in Tasmania. So if we'd had 500 more megawatts of interconnection, even back in January, we would have been we would have been exporting 500 megawatts more. That along you're, with you're, some upgrades across the system. You're, you, 
Yeah, you're, Steve, sorry to keep interrupting. You're, you're the second uh, hydro company to tell me tell me that uh, Snowy said that they had 1,300 megawatts that they could have shipped down, uh, which brings us back to the transmission and the timing. And I know Project Mariners exactly, is not, yeah. not, not your uh, responsibility, but to me, uh, it seems to me that uh, there's every chance or well, quite a good chance that your lawn will be uh, producing a lot less power but from, say, 2025 even. I, I, I mean, I, I worry that... Um, this is all coming a bit slowly uh, from some perspectives. Well, certainly if, if you're thinking about how to make sure that the power supply is reliable in Victoria, uh, Victoria should be should be hoping that, that both projects are coming, uh, both Kerrang bringing more of the snowy in New South Wales capacity to, to Victoria and Mariners bringing more of the Tasmanian capacity to Victoria. I think they are both needed and... Uh, uh, and they're needed as as soon as they can be built. I think, from a Victorian point of view. And and so from the from your point, from progressing one pumped hydro uh, project, what are the sort of milestones from here? I guess you can't obviously get to uh, final investment decision FID before Project Marinus is 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 committed. Uh, what else has got to happen? So yeah, we're we're working through uh, the three projects at the moment, and and we hope to select a single project to take through to to full development approval over the next year or two, uh, and then uh, a year or so later than that, uh, we would be we would be getting to financial investment decision, and we would want to be getting to financial investment decision about the same time as as we think uh, Marinus is is aiming to do as well. So over the course of the next two or three years. Uh, both Marinus and and uh, and one of our pumped hydro projects should ideally be getting to the financial investment decision, and that's the that is the the program of work that we've been supported by the by the Commonwealth to take on. So between ourselves, uh, TAS Networks, the, the government of Tasmania, and the government and the Commonwealth government, uh, we are working towards working towards making sure that these these projects. One uh, prove that they are a good solution, uh, that they're all technically technically viable and we've got a, a, a properly designed project that that is then um, supported by the by the uh, the rules that are in place and and importantly by the underwriting arrangements that the that the federal government has proposed for some for some new generation projects so we we've uh, the Tasmanian government and the, and the Commonwealth government entered, entered into um, a sort of a high level agreement back in March that, that the Commonwealth Government would support the further investigation of, of, of Marinus to the tune of $56 million, that Hydro Tasmania would, would uh, uh, w- further develop the feasibility and business case for a pumped hydro uh, plant, uh, and that uh, and that the Tasmanian Government and the Federal Government would, would work on, on an underwriting agreement for that pumped hydro uh, and the and the hydro investment sitting in Tasmania, and those all those programs are are going along nicely at the moment. So when you mention underwriting, I presume you mean on the capital side, do you? I mean, how do you think about the pumped hydro revenue? Do you need? Uh, um, so if I was to Gordon Weimer said on the same podcast, Gordon Weimer from Snowy, that he was uh, he was now in the business of providing firming power. Uh, and that's why he'd, um, you know, had 800 megawatts of uh, variable renewable energy PPA signed up so that he could go out into the market and, and write firm contracts. And he, I guess he had like, somewhat like you quite a big uh, existing revenue stream and customers that he, that he could talk to. Or do you need to 
I mean, how, how are you seeing the revenue side, security side of things? So these, these are very long-lived assets. And, of course, we're talking about uh, an asset that might be, you know, say, operating in 2028. So that's nine years from today. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a hydro project, a, a project that lives a, a very, very long time. Um, you know, so we're talking 40, 50-plus years of, of operations. So um, we think that the that the uh, the program that the federal government has put together, uh, underwriting the uh, the underwriting new generation initiative, is the right kind of is the right kind of program to to make sure that these assets do get built. Australia is going through through quite an energy transition, and 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 in that energy transition, we're also looking at what the rules might be post twenty twenty five. The Energy Security Board is looking at that. So when you're thinking about a a project right now, uh, a pumped hydro project, for example, relies on buying electricity when it's cheap and selling electricity when it's expensive in a daily cycle or a or a few days cycle. Uh, and that relies very much, uh, without some kind of um, long-term agreement, it relies very much on on forecasting what what spot prices might be, uh, and that's a pretty that's a pretty hard investment to make. So I think that the the idea that the Commonwealth would would give a um, uh, would would enter into agreements with proponents, which it's which is actively looking at doing at the moment. That make sure that there's a, a minimum level of revenue there to to ensure that the the debt can be serviced for for these new projects. So I think that's a I think that's a good approach, uh, and that's the that's the way we are looking at it right now. That with a combination of what we can see as our revenue in those forward decades, along with this underwriting agreement, that we can come up with a with a business case that makes sense. That, that's interesting, and I want to come back to that in the context of the 2025 reforms and. Uh, a lot of discussion about a capacity market coming. I'll, I'll come back to that, but I wanted to finish or just explore a little bit more about Hydro Tasmania's strategy and indeed Tasmania's electricity potential because, of course, um, one of the original ideas of uh, developing the resource was that if you use the hydro more for firming, there'd be room to develop more of the wind uh, resource in Tasmania. And I'm just wondering, generally, do you see Hydro Tasmania as sort of... Um, uh, helping that along either by directly owning wind farms as you once did through Roaring Forties in partnership, uh, or by uh, securing you know energy through through your own PPAs to wind developers. So we're we're still a twenty five percent investor in the in the three wind farms that have already been completed in Tasmania, two at Wall North and and one at Muscle Row. Uh, and we own those in a that's about 308 megawatts of wind, and we own that in a joint venture with uh, with China Energy Investments. The, um, the Tasmania, there are two other wind farms under construction in Tasmania at the moment as well. One at Granville Harbour and another at uh, at Wild Cattle Hill. And once those two projects are finished, then Tasmania's electricity demand will be. Pretty much equal to the amount of renewable supply on the island, so that's a that's a great place for for Tasmania to be. Hydro Tasmania doesn't intend being a, a developer of further wind projects in Tasmania, but there are plenty of other companies that are that are looking at some at some really really good projects in Tasmania. Tasmania's got an, a big advantage in wind development in that because we are further south, and also that the that the western side of Tasmania is has a lot of ocean. To the to the west of it, that the wind is very strong and very uh, reliable, and uh, so we, so the 
the projects that are being planned now have got very good capacity factors and also the the time that the wind blows is is kind of different to the the uh the time yeah, that they're, wind they're, is they're, they're, they're not correlated with south australia so much i've studied that myself exactly but right. you do need the tra- yeah, exactly right. transmission capacity and and those wind farms are going to need ppas of their own let's uh put that to one side uh, a moment because i'm conscious of your scarce time and there's so many topics um look you uh, Hydro Tasmania made a, um, a couple of submissions, uh, one to the Kogarty process and another one into the market uh, development process that's been run by the ESB. Um, let me just ask, what do you think, first of all, um, about the idea of a capacity market or a day ahead market? Do you have any thoughts about whether you think those sorts of things would be appropriate for or good for a company like Hydro Tas? So I think the 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 question more is well what are the what are the issues that that a market in Australia might face uh, after during a transition and after a transition and there are obviously lots of candidate market designs that are that have been used successfully in in other parts of the world and I, and I I think but I, I'm I'm uh, quite involved in the post 2025 market design process. Uh, and I've become a lot less certain about what is exactly the right market design. Uh, you know, I'll put it another way: I've got a lot more of an open mind than than I would have had in the past. So I think that I think that um, the the lots of different design kinds of designs could work well in Australia, and the the detail of the implementation is the the important thing. And I know there are a lot of people who are who are very keen on a, on a day-ahead market, and they do solve a lot of problems in, in other jurisdictions. Capacity markets uh, have also worked uh, in, in other parts of the world, and, and even Western Australia has got a, got a capacity market as well. So uh, I think the more important thing is, for, for me is that there's a lot of new investment required in the transition from, from our current coal fleet and our current thermal fleet to a, to a country that's being increasingly supplied from, by variable renewable energy, and so it's that it's how to how can we ensure that there's the right kind of investment made during the transition. So whether that's a permanent market design or whether that's a uh, a series of initiatives that are that are that are in place during the transition, I'm starting to feel uh, that a variety of things could work, and what the Energy Security Board are doing, and I think it's the right approach, is to is to get a handful of candidate market models together and and really go through a process of testing them uh, against each other through through various kinds of simulations and and coming up with a, a more evidence basis of what the of what the right design is. So you know, in a, lo- a long way around, what I think, David, is that is that lots of different designs might be able to do the job, and uh, we should uh, we should be we should Test them against each other, uh, you know, not by running them, but by by uh, by by simulating and maybe maybe doing some uh, some game theory and um, real time real time analysis of how people how people uh, act when they have those incentives, but also that the that the details are important. The right the right uh, high level idea might not work very well if the if the details aren't exactly as they should be. 
So my my idea, my idea about this is my idea about this has been always been that the, the winning general is the one that sticks to his plan of winning longest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and, and I, you're right that execution of whatever the design is will certainly be important. Um, I guess I don't know. Probably I'm asking this question a little out of turn, and there's so many things to talk about. But you know, one of the issues I've been grappling with a lot lately is that uh, solar is, uh, you know, Australia has a huge solar resource, uh, and we've got a good wind resource as well. But um, at the moment, it probably doesn't make sense. For, you know, we've almost already got as much solar as we need, particularly when uh, in front of the meter guys start looking at the competition with the household solar sector. And I'm just wondering what sort of market design is going to ensure we get enough energy design, energy from solar, which is very cheap and got limitless potential, uh, but but and still give the solar developer a return. And uh, I'm wondering more in general, whether you think that uh, markets are actually always the answer or whether some of these reversed auctions with a bit more planning uh, with such a big transition required might, might not deliver the objectives with um, you know, more certainty, more reliability, and uh, perhaps a better mix of assets. Yeah, certainly what I'm... Yeah, and what I'm leading to is is the latter, that during the transition, uh, some sort of planned, planned investment, uh, but still very competitively run, is is going to be needed. Uh, that's that's where I would lean, and, and I and I would describe the underwriting new generation investment program that the Commonwealth is currently running as a version of that. So uh, so the 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 end state might be might be different, but the but the uh, but the um, but the the transition needs to have an element of planning, and the integrated system plan that uh, that AEMO. Uh, uh, Running that that process, I think that's that. I think that's a, an important part of the process. What does the system need to look like in the future? That coordinated planning of of a of a different and enlarged transmission network. Uh, how being very careful that that we're not just focused on the large scale um, replacement of current generation with new generation. That it's also uh, very much involved with that distributed distributed energy resources and and demand side management, whether that's at the at the household level or all the way up to to big industries. So I think there's you know the solution is across the across these four areas. There's the the transmission investment. There's the customer participation. There's the investment in in the uh, the new um, distributed the new variable resources, solar and wind. And then there's the then there's the firming resources, some of which are there now, and some of which which need to be built. But as we have more of the variable resources, we need more storage. Um, the 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 way to keep dealing with more wind and more solar in the system is to have more storage, and that's where pumped hydro and and batteries come in. Um, uh, if we are going to have more solar, more solar PV, and more wind generation. Then you need more storage to 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 make that work, uh, and at the moment, pumped hydro is a very cost-effective way of of getting storage. But 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 batteries are, batteries are going to continue to to become more and more competitive, uh, and batteries also have the the advantage of of being able to be far more distributed throughout the system, uh, and you know at the limit able to be moved around when uh, when they're needed needed elsewhere so so i think a combination of all those four different areas
Yeah, indeed. And, uh, you know, I guess, um, well, there's two other big things going on in the market. I mean, let me ask you this question. Your pumped hydro proposals are sort of, I mean, Snowy has pretty much directly said uh, to me that they want to operate much more in the seasonal market. They don't really see themselves operating in the daily balancing market as their number one objective. On the other hand, with batteries, we know that they can do four hours competitively, I think, or they will be able to by the time, say, your project is built. And they're clearly going to be the winners in the five-minute market when that comes in. What, what do you see as the role for your pumped hydro? Is it more daily balancing conceptually or, or, or how do you see that working? Yeah, look, I think there's, there's uh, we, you know, we, we're, we've identified through the studies that we've done that, that there's going to be a, a need for the deep storage as well as the, the shallow storage. And Snowy are, are obviously have a very uh, lot, big Big reservoir sitting at the top of, of their pumped hydro uh, project, so they'll they'll be able to meet that very long storage quite well. But that but the identified need for storage is quite high. AMO have identified that we need 17 gigawatts of new uh, grid scale storage by 2040, and that's based on a fairly conservative view of of how long of how how quick the transition would be. And I think uh, a lot of people would agree that it's 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 there's much higher chance of it being quicker than that than being than being slower. So that that 17 gigawatts of new storage might be needed much sooner than than 2040. So uh, Snowy are talking about uh, 2,000 megawatts. We're talking about effectively 1,500 megawatts with our with our currently available Tasmanian capacity and the and the new pumped hydro that we'd invest in. So that's that's only about 20% of the of the uh, of the 17 gigawatts that's needed. Our projects, the three projects that we're looking at at the moment, range from about fourteen hours to about thirty hours. That's the period that we uh, that we think we can achieve with the the with the projects that we've got, and that kind of means that you can be uh, in that daily cycle, but you can also be of assistance when there's a when there's a, a wind drought or a, or a sun drought. So you can help the system last through for a for a few days or a, up to a week at a time when you combine it with the the other resources that might be in the system. So uh, I think we, you know, our our spot is the gap between where where the batteries are and the spot where where snowy is. And how, um, well, as I said, I've got lots of, uh, there's so much going on, but let me just ask you about the Kogani process. And let me sort of start out by saying that I think it's more of a distraction. I mean, there may be some advantage in locational pricing uh, in, in a perfect market, but we're so far from a perfect market and there's so many other issues to to be dealt with that do we really need this extra complexity and all the extra costs that are going to go on with it? Uh, before we get through at least the ESB process, the AMC has done an awful, awfully large amount of work on on this. Uh, uh, but I think we, like a lot of market participants, think think that the implementation of these measures prior to the consideration of the of the post twenty five market design is 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 a bit is 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 pushing a bit too hard. It might be that it, we inadvertently. Um, uh, cut out some of the good options that might have been available for the post twenty five design by doing this, or it might be that these that these measures fit in very well with a with the post twenty five market. So, so my my view would be that on the on the on those particular parts, the locational pricing, that 
that that it should be seen as part of all the ideas that should be considered in the post twenty five market design. Uh, we are we do think the renewable energy zone idea is a is a good one, and that that uh, renewable energy zones are are something that that Australia is going to need to need to work further on, and that's very very much in accord with our our um, view around the the AEMO integrated system plan work as well. That's right. And, and uh, I do have a view on whether uh, new generations should be paying for transmission upgrades uh, uh, in that process. It seems to me that's actually going to make the transition harder because it's going to make new generation less competitive when we really want to make it more competitive to make sure we get the transition properly or we get the stuff built ahead of the old stuff closing down. But that's... Yeah. Well, I think the 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 fact that the that the that the Coag Energy Councils asked for asked for more work to be done on on the beneficiary side of uh, of of the regulatory investment test for transmission. I think that's that's kind of where that process should be. Uh, but you know, the current design is that is that the is that the transmission you know except for except for direct connection costs that the the transmission costs are, are borne by by customers. Uh, I think I think there's there is a, you know if we are going to consider the transmission pricing framework then then I then I wouldn't close off particular options but yes as an existing generator I'd prefer it if we weren't paying but 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 in thinking about it and thinking about a, f- a future market design I think you've got to you've got to think about how to create the most efficient investment framework not just not just the the inherent interests of the of the of each company. Steve, we're, we're running out of time and it's been very helpful discussion. I just wanted to ask you about, there's a lot of changes going on in the market, all of which impose costs just in, in managing the change, in updating IT systems and things like that. I just wondered about five-minute pricing. Do you have any, first of all, I'd like to know if you if you know off the top, or could say off the top of your head, how much you think it's going to cost your organisation to actually implement uh, five-minute pricing and then for, do you see that you'll be able to uh, trade in that market, five-minute settlement, uh, uh, trade in that market more or less effectively? Well, it's a good question. And, and yes, I do know what it's going to cost and no, I'm not going to say so. But the, uh, the um, you know, this was, this was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, we've, we've been through the process of deciding to do it and now we're just going to get on with it. Um, uh, we need to be ready, like everyone else, and and we will just we will just get on now with with getting ready. Um, whether we trade five minute derivatives, I've, I don't know that we've got to that point yet, but we certainly will be uh, trading in the five minute dispatch part of it, and as as we do, and and most other generators do now. So so uh, you know, I hope it does have the benefits that that the proponents of it. Uh, claim that there is that there, that it does create more participation from from demand side because I think that's an important and a growingly a growing important part of the market. I think as we as we think about making big new investments in the in the power sector, it's very important that the that the uh, that all the demand response is used as fully as possible because that's a that's going to be a lot more cost effective to be fully utilizing the demand side across the the national market than than in investing in new assets that that could easily have been replaced by by demand side management so so i su- i support the 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 aim of the 5 minute changes uh uh but uh, and in terms of and now we're underway so we will we will just make it work
Can, can I just ask, have the, has the costs been within your original expectations? Because I, I, I emailed put some numbers out, I think, in their last annual report where they were talking, I, I, from memory, two or $300 million of costs. I mean, they're, they're a particular case, but I mean, I, I just wonder about the amount of actual underlying costs across, you know, that will get passed on to consumers. I don't. I don't know how that how that will work. I know that our emos costs need to be need to be passed on. But in terms of the the costs that companies like us have, you know, we're in, we're reinvesting in our systems all the time. And so so we, uh, if you're a generator or a retailer, and we're doing both, then uh, it's the it's the whether whether you recover those costs really depends on on what the market delivers to you. You can't you can't uh, just add those to your prices. Uh, okay, and uh, uh, last question for, for 50, 20, uh, 30 seconds. Uh, Momentum Energy had a good year last year, grew its customer base. Uh, how are you seeing its future? That's yes, the retail well, side for our listeners. Yeah, we're very, yeah Momentum Energy has, uh, has uh, about 250,000 connected sites now, and we're very, we're very happy with the, the progress that Momentum's making and, and very proud of the, the reputation that we, we have with our customers. Uh, and I see that as, as being a, you know, really important part of our business. Uh, what I what I say to my colleagues is that um, it's very important to understand why you're making electricity. You're not making it because there's a wholesale market. You're making it because there are there are people that that use electricity to run their businesses and and uh, and enhance their lives. So so having that direct connectedness to customers is really important. There's a lot of regulatory change going on, so it's a it's a busy it's a busy area. Uh, but but you know it's that drive to continue to innovate to to keep your customers happy is a is a great way of of um, ensuring that everybody understands why they come to work each day. Steve, thanks very much for talk, taking some time out of a very busy schedule to talk to Energy Insiders. We appreciate your insights and look forward to doing it again sometime in the future. Thank you, David. If, if any of your listeners have have have, have stayed with it this long. Uh, I'm very pleased to have uh, um, occupied your time and hopefully hopefully you've learned something from listening to it. And that was Stephen Davey, the CEO of Hydro Tasmania, talking to David. Um, fascinating stuff. It's, um, yes, look, it, it is interesting what you said just before the interview about this sort of competition between this sort of this project and the Battery of the Nation and the Snowy 2.0. Is there room enough for both huge, big projects to, to happen, do you think? Uh, yes, I do. I think essentially that if I was planning the system uh, and uh, cost was no object at least, I mean, Hydro Tasmania would be supplying Victoria uh, and basically looking after your lawn when it closes and Snowy too will be looking after New South Wales when another coal generator uh, closes up here. Giles, I should get people's names right, that was, uh, that's a bit embarrassing. But um, look, uh, I think the thing that I've been focused on and I, as I understand it that uh, the people from AEMO have been talking about is the amount of dispatchable power uh, that's been talked about. Uh, I've heard uh, numbers uh, from, um, uh, from, from them saying that by 2040, 16 gigawatts of dispatchable or firming power will be needed. But you can really say that 2030 is the real 2040 because the 2040 number assumes that all the coal-fired power stations uh, close down in, in, in terms of their technical life, whereas I personally expecting that your lawn will really struggle to get through to 2030. Uh, and uh, in the numbers that ITK publishes, we, we expect that another co- New South Wales coal generator will close be- before 2030 as well. So, of course, that brings forward the need for dispatchable power. 
and the terribly long timeline that we've got for all the transmission build. And just to finish on this little burst, Giles, I mean, it's two and a half billion dollars to build Marinus Link. That's the transmission part between Tasmania and Victoria, 1500 megawatts that will be needed. And of course, we know the uh, snowy transmission links are about a couple of billion dollars. Uh, we've got uh, one and a half billion dollars for the much needed South Australia Energy Connect project between South Australia and uh, and New South Wales, and probably over a billion dollars between Queensland and and New South Wales as well. Um, now you might say that's a lot of money, but actually seven or eight billion dollars there is a lot less than the say uh, I don't know twenty or thirty billion, forty billion that's going to be needed in terms of variable renewable energy, and sixteen gigawatts uh, of new dispatchable power. If that's really what we need uh, over the next fifteen years, that's another what would you say thirty billion dollars. So really, that, that's a lot of numbers to be throwing around, isn't it? More, more, more than your pocket money. Well, it is more than my pocket money, um, just. Um, yes, it's, it's a considerable amount of money. But it's interesting, though, to put it into a perspective that this is money that needs to be spent, whether you're replacing coal with like for like, or you're going to pay, replace coal with renewables and various forms of transmission and storage. So um, it needs to be spent. I guess the question is, what is the decision going to be made? What are we going to spend it on? And clearly it's going to be the cheapest and most effective and the cleanest um, alternative. And that's obviously sort of renewables and storage and with varying amounts of transmission. Although I, I do get a little nervous sometimes with the amount of transmission and network that we're spending because we have let things get away from us last time. Um, and um, hopefully we can um, sort of pick the right investments and the um, and the best choices this time round. And um, I'm Giles, not... Giles I, I agree with that. Uh, that's right to be nervous, but I've always taken comfort from the point of view that you know eight billion. I mean, we spend something like forty billion dollars a year on electricity within the national electricity market. That's the two hundred terawatt hours of annual consumption times about $200 a megawatt hour average over big business and, and households. And that's $40 billion revenue a year across the sector of which transmission currently represents less than 10% of the cost. Now for households, while last mile, that's the network or distribution costs were, are about 50% of costs. So, you know, even a decent spend on transmission is going to have uh, a lot less leverage to the final price of electricity. And, and frankly, we can't decarbonise the system properly in the way that we all need to without getting on with the transmission spend. And I still f frankly think that uh, uh, it's by far the biggest worry of how long it's going to take to build all this transmission and that we may get to emergency levels in a sense uh, uh, before it's actually ready for us. Yes, well, look, this is um, silly, clearly something that's exercising the mind of the Australian energy market operator. Um, at the ANU today, there was a Future of Energy conference talking about future designs and um, sort of summing up the situation and sort of future choices. And um, Audrey Zieberman gave quite a detailed um, um, presentation and um, once again, sort of talking about all the all, all the um, the wind and solar that was lining up to be grid connected. But her main fear was the um, was what's happening with the coal generators over the next couple of years and, and, and not the fact that they might be retiring um, in, um, in 2030 or early 2030s, the fact that they might actually sort of um, go before then and, and, and particularly pointing to your lawn, which I think she sort of suggested even in the coming summers. And rather than having 85% availability that you would have expected in recent suburbs, um, it's going to be about 50% capability. Giles, it's interesting you mentioned Victoria. There are, there are two points to make about it. Firstly, um, if you listen to people like the Federal Minister, 
and I, I don't think too many people do listen to him despite all the brains and the fact that he got a university medal in economics. Uh, um, uh, he's always running down Victoria for its high prices, but in fact, Victoria is going to move from a situation of undersupply uh, to one of oversupply, at least while your lawn is operating over the next two or three years as all the new wind and solar generation comes online in Victoria and I expect that will lower prices and you, you might recall uh, that uh, we've said a couple, six or eight weeks ago following our quarterly review, we being ITK in this case, that we thought the March quarter Victoria futures price was too high at $160 for a quarterly average. Well, it's down to, a, I think uh, it's fallen over $20 uh, now, about uh, 14%. And so uh, things are improving from Victorian consumers. And I guess the sense of what you could see that is, is a sense that some of the concerns about this particular March quarter have at least temporarily abated. I mean, it's still in the future, so we don't know what's going to happen. Now, the the other thing about it is that as this uh, share of renewables in Victoria increases, as it most assuredly is going to, it is going to require more ramping uh, from the thermal generators down there. And they, of all the brown coal generators, are by far the least well suited to ramping. Uh, So that's something that uh, Victoria will have to pay uh, attention to. And moreover, if there's not more transmission capacity from uh, built fairly soon, there'll be nowhere for that brown coal generation to go. Right now, if there was enough transmission capacity, it's cheaper because there's no carbon price. It's cheaper than coal-fired electricity in New South Wales on a cost basis, and, and any excess can be sent up to New South Wales. But if we start running into transmission constraints, um, um, it's going to be an even bigger problem for your lawn. So, yes, reliability is one issue for them. But uh, what's called the missing money or revenue adequacy and ramping are going to rapidly become the bigger issues over the next two or three years, in our view. Mm. And it's interesting what you say about the um, the, in, the renewables um, and the impact on prices. We're starting to see that now in South Australia. Um, now, one swallow or even two swallows does not make a summer, but um, in the last two months, South Australia has had the lowest prices of electricity in the wholesale market, the national electricity market. Now, that really hasn't happened for at least a decade, and even then it only happens spasmodically. And, you know, South Australia is often blamed, oh, you've got renewables, you've got the high prices, therefore the two must go together. But um, you go right back to the 1970s, they had very high prices because of the sort of the cost of gas generation, their pretty lousy quality coal supply they had then. And um, 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 the state-owned utility way back in the mid-1970s was looking at wind energy as some way to um, uh, lower costs. Now, it wasn't the answer then, but clearly is the answer now. And it's um, quite interesting to see in the month of November, um, average prices 40% below that of Victoria and New South Wales. Now, over summer, because it's quite a volatile state, we're expected to see that um, go up as more gas generation is used. But look, a positive trend overall. Absolutely. And a couple of other factors that uh, electricity consumers can take heart from are that the gas price is uh, coming down at the moment. Uh, the short-term trading market price is a couple of dollars below where it was this time last year. So, so spot gas is more readily available at better prices. And of course, the coal price has come down, not that you'd know that really, but uh, it has come down quite substantially to about 65 US dollars. So uh, that again will mean essentially that more coal supply is available and there'll be less pressure for for thermal generators, particularly in New South Wales, that are trying to sign short term contracts. And that that too will uh, increase the opportunity. 
to, to for prices overall to fall a bit. So there are overall some encouraging signs in the short term for consumers. But, you know, the bad news, as far as I'm concerned, Giles, is that really a high electricity price is in the, the uh, economy's, uh, country's long-term best environmental interest. It shouldn't be that, that cheap to buy electricity. There should be a carbon price built into it. Uh, and we really want to encourage energy efficiency. If there's one thing everyone agrees about with the recent New South Wales electricity strategy announcement, it's the new push on energy efficiency. There's so many gains there, but and it always benefits when there's a high opportunity cost, same for behind the meter. I might just clarify one point then. Um, maybe it is good to have um, cheap electricity, but once it's um, zero emissions, and um, then we can pretty much use as much as we want, or even then probably efficiency and demand management would be a good idea. Um, that fall in the price of coal, obviously very bad news to the National Party um, senior executive who bought the lump of coal auctioned by Barnaby Joyce at their recent executive for over $800, as I understand it, although he did get a free starter Dani t-shirt worn by um, Matt Canavan um, as part of that deal, so um, maybe it wasn't the complete loss, but... Um, it was a lump of coal in a glass jar, so at least a um, a demonstration of carbon capture, if not of the coal, but maybe of the party. David, we should probably wrap it up there. Um, there's just one to... other thing I want to mention, Giles. Uh, we all know there's been a series of environmental issues in Australia, on, particularly on the East Coast uh, recently, whether it's uh, fires, drought uh, or, or storms. Um, and uh, there was a survey released that showed that uh, climate change and the environment are the number one issue in Australia at the moment. And I don't want to say too much about it, but I do think the time uh, is for the industry to start pushing again for more political action. We won't get much, but it's uh, time to be talking about a carbon price again, and I'll, I'll just leave it there. Fair enough. And um, look, I'd just like to thank our sponsors, Solaray Energy and um, Evergen. Um, for their ongoing support to this podcast. I'd like to draw your attention to two other podcasts that um, we've done recently. One is last week's episode of Energy Insiders with Michael Liebreich. Um I found that a particularly fascinating interview, and um, if you haven't already listened to it, then please do. Also on the Driven podcast, our EV-focused um, sister publication, we did a very interesting interview with Dominic Vandenberg from the, the head of distributed energy at AGL, talking about how, how AGL sees the growth in electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and how that fits into their views of virtual power plants and the distributed network in the future. So um, that was pretty interesting as well. Look, thank you for listening once again. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and we'll be back again this time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.